Good morning. I guess I don't have to preach now. <laughs> well, <clears throat> my wife helps in that kids club, but I promise you I had no idea that they were going to read the same verse I was, I'm going to preach on. <laughs> so I'll just take it as from the Lord and be encouraged by it. They did a great job, didn't they? I don't usually give my messages titles, but uh, I'm getting into the habit of starting to. The present that gets left behind under the tree. The present that gets left behind under the tree. Um, That's what I want to talk about this morning. Christmas. Christmas. Um, I grew up in a home where we didn't know the things that these children know. We didn't go to church. um, And what we thought of Christmas was similar to what people think of Christmas. I ask my students, I teach in an apprenticeship school, I have adult students, I've been going to the city, I ask, what is Christmas all about to you? And a lot of people, I, you know, when you t- ask kids, if you ask me when I was little, I'd say it's about presents, it's about gifts, right? It's what I'm going to get. But the older people seem to say it's about family, it's about family. And that brought me to my childhood. What are the things that we did when I was little? You know, gearing up to Christmas, it was an exciting time. For one, you got time off of school. And that was always time for celebration, you know. We got Christmas vacation. And then with Christmas vacation started ramping up all the activities of Christmas, started with the Christmas songs on the radio. We pull out the old uh, vinyl records and we put them on and we play Christmas songs. And so the message that these kids were talking about, it was in the, the music. It was in the but I missed it. <laughs> I just missed it. Um, and then uh, with the Christmas songs came out the Christmas lights, you know, started coming out on all the houses, the Christmas lights. And then we'd have to go hunt for a tree and it'd have to be a very unique, special tree. And my mom was in charge of picking it out. And it was always, I knew she was looking, what she was looking for, you know, she didn't like a flock tree. She didn't like a real dense tree, but it had to be somewhat with enough space to hang the ornaments on. And we had projects as we were little kids, we made these homemade ornaments. We'd sit down and the family would have projects. Each kid would have their ornament. It was all handmade and we got to hang it on the tree when we decorated a tree. So we decorated a Christmas tree. Why? Tradition. <laughs> tradition. Tradition. And, uh, and then the house started to smell so good because my mom would have her Christmas baking good. that She'd just get out and start baking. And my job as a kid in the kitchen was... She's baking, and I don't know what it is about bacon, but you use up a lot of pots and pans, right? And it gets dumped in the sink. So my job was making sure they're clean when she, handed, she needed it again, but it had to be clean. And she liked that, and I liked doing it. But uh, she made a lot of baked goods. So we had a lot of baked goods around Christmas time. And we didn't have, usually have people over at all, but it was our family. So it was a time, I can remember a gluckenspiel. Anybody knows what a gluckenspiel is? It's, it's, it's got candles in it. It's got a little sort of a horizontal fan that has uh, something on top, and the heat of the candles spun it around. And I used to like as a kid putting that together. It was a time of family get-together. And uh, the most exciting time was opening presents. Now, we come from German background, and I don't know, but my mom told me in Germany they do it different, which I sort of liked as a kid, because in Germany, 
you open all the presents on Christmas Eve and you save one for Christmas Day. So I got to open most of my presents on Christmas Eve. But, but through it all, I didn't know the real meaning of Christmas. Christmas for me was that. Family, giving. Of course, there was the running around, finding the right gifts for everyone. Um, the excitement of, you know, the smells and the sounds and, and the, the music. And, and finally, the presents. The presents. I didn't know anything about the real meaning of Christmas until I was 23 years old. And so I thought it would be good whenever I get to preach around Christmas time to make sure nobody leaves without understanding the real meaning of Christmas. But the girls already, the kids already took care of that for me. <laughs> so that's it. I'll just pray right now. <laughs> but let's go over the verse. They quoted, um, they quoted more than the verse that I'm reading. Um, John Chapter 3, verse 16, well-known verse. They read farther. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's a lot in that verse that needs to be examined. And just like I can remember the first Christmas after I knew the meaning of Christmas. I got saved in February. That's when I recognized what God had done for me. That first Christmas... I couldn't believe it. Every, almost every, but uh, most of the Christmas songs that were played, now I understood. Oh, now I get it. How could we be singing those songs all those years and not get it? But I didn't get it. I didn't have anybody to explain it to me, and I, I, I just didn't get it. For God so loved the world. For, for, for God. There's a cause and effect. There's a reason why we do things. I remember as a kid, why'd you do this? I don't know. Don't tell me I don't know. Nobody does something without a reason. You have a reason. Figure it out. If you say, I don't know one more time, I'm going to smack you. She got tired of hearing it. So she, one more time, why'd you do it? For no reason. <laughs> you know, everybody does something for a reason. God does things for a reason. I ask people, you know, some people that say, well, it's gift giving. Well, why do you give gifts? You ever think of that? Why do you give gifts? Why do you give gifts? Well, there could be different reasons what your motive for giving gifts are. Um, you know, we say, well, it's the thought that counts. But that's not always true, is it? Um, when it comes time to giving gifts, we often ask people, what is it that you'd like to receive as a gift? You know, we don't want to disappoint someone, right? The thought that counts, we'll ask. Some people, you know, and I ask people this too, some people feel an obligation to give around Christmas time. Did you know that? Where's that obligation come from? You know, and, and it could come from various reasons. We usually give gifts to people we care about, family members, and it becomes an expectation at Christmas time. Oh, I got to get so-and-so a gift. Why? Because I have to. <laughs> Why? Because it's Christmas time. Yeah, and I've always done it. What will they think if I don't? So there's the pressure. And commerce builds on that. I mean, Christmas time is big business. <laughs> and Christmas, to a large degree, has been commercialized. And we play into it when we feel obligated to give a gift. God was not obligated to give a gift. Did you know that? Not at all. He didn't have to give a gift. And I like to think that Christians, when they give gifts at Christmas time, it's following God's example. God gave 
he gave. But he gave for a reason. What was the reason? He gave because he loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. But the most important part is it's personal. He loves you individually. You know, it's easy to say God loves the world and, and it's generalized. No, God loves you. And he knows you. And he knows all your warts, all your wrinkles, all your sins, and he loves you. He loves you. So that's God's motive for reason, uh, motive or reason for giving. It's because he loves us. And I grew up, I didn't know God loved me. I mean, I, I heard things about God, and I was curious about him, but I never heard that he loved me. You know, and if I did, I'd probably wonder why. <laughs> I was a pretty little, a, pretty little, um, I'm a little monster, you might call it. Um, so God has a reason. He loves us. And, and, you know, you can't get around the subject of God. You can't. I mean, look in the world today. There's a lot going on because of what people think of God or don't think of God. When I was growing up in, in, in grade school I, or high school, I heard some people were going to some Christian colleges after high school. I'm thinking, what's that? Bible college. What's that? People actually go to school to study the Bible? Why? I didn't think that really had a place in the world. And when I grew up, I found out, whoa, that's everything. <laughs> that's, that, we see that all over the world right now. You can't get around God. There are some people that they know they can't get around the subject of God because he's evident everywhere. So they, they ignore him. Or they deny his existence. You know how futile that is? A person does that to their eternal detriment and regret. You know, if someone denies God and one day when they meet him, <laughs> it's going to be too late. They're going to be meeting up with God as a judge. But some people do that. Um, you can't get around God. He's the one with whom we have to do. Eventually, we're going to face him. <laughs> so you face him on good grounds, being forgiven because you've received the gift he's offered, or you haven't for one reason or another. But it's God is the subject. God is the giver. We're the receiver. We're not the focus point. He is. <laughs> and he so loved. How much did he love? How much did he love? You know, Sandra and I have this ongoing argument throughout our married life. And you're going to think it's silly. But it's I love you. And I, no, I love you more. <laughs> no, I love you more. It's silly, isn't it? Nobody loves more than God loves. And we can't understand or comprehend the depths of God's love for you. For you. So much so that he gave. That he gave. And I want to think about a gift. What, marks, what are the hallmarks of a good gift? You ever think about that? My family knows. I mean, they don't have to worry too much because I, I have a lot of them that I already, you know, I can use. But I like tools. You know why? Because they're useful. I can do things with tools. So I, I think of a gift that's useful. That's a valuable gift. But that doesn't trump need. Need. I was reading just yesterday about this guy. I think it's North Carolina. His name's Chief Thomas Culpepper. Ever hear of him? He's been in the news. At 12, he was diagnosed with lupus nephritis, which I don't know what in the world that is, but it's something bad. 
And uh, he tried to take care of himself, according to the doctor's orders, until he was 35. And then he needed a kidney transplant because they, they were failing. So he was on dialysis. So lo and behold, and, and this man's a Christian. His wife was, compatible, was a compatible donor. So at 35, she... Now, there's a need, right? If you're going to give a gift, that would be a good gift to give, right? I mean, it's hard to think of a better gift. And I think it beats tools in this case. So she donated one of her kidneys to him. 20 years later, he needs another kidney because they're failing. And so now there's a call out, a search for compatible donors. And it doesn't have to be a compatible donor. It could be a, a person that, I guess they have this exchange program that if you go in and you get tested and you're not compatible with the one that you want to donate one to, you might be compatible with someone else that needs your, because you're compatible with them, and they found somebody that's compatible with this person, so they do the whole thing, and two people get, get saved through your gift. So there's a, a needed gift that trumps a useful gift, doesn't it? I mean, it's also useful, obviously but it's better than a tool. Um, it's nice to give a gift that's wanted, but a need transcends a want, doesn't it? This gift that God gave is the ultimate gift because it's something that every man, woman, and child needs because we're all sinners in need of salvation. We're all born dead, separated from God. And he wants to give us life. It's something we can't get on our own. It has to be a gift. It has to be given. We can never get that on our own. Because the wages of sin is death. Who does he love? You. He loves the whole world. He loves everyone in the world. You ever give a gift to someone that didn't appreciate it? Usually when that's the case, you don't know it because they don't show it. But the world really shows that the world doesn't appreciate the Lord and the Lord's gift. And you could see it. You could see it around with things like, um, I, I think recently Starbucks, it was on the news, Starbucks was changing their cups to red with a green symbol, whereas before they had like Christmas scenes around the cup. And there was a big uproar. Because a lot of people know that in the Starbucks headquarters, they're sort of alternate lifestyle pro people kind of thing. And so it looked like they were trying to put the kibosh on Christmas decorations on their cups, and people were saying, let's boycott Starbucks, you know? And some, some group of people said, well, we got a solution. When they say, what's your name? You know, the, uh, the, going, if I could buy a Starbucks, they used to say, what's your name? Eric. Okay, they put Eric on the cup, and when it's ready, Eric, they'd call me. You know what they were putting on the cup? Merry Christmas. So they asked, Merry Christmas, who's this? So they're trying to circumvent what they felt Starbucks was trying to do, and that's, you know, take Christ out of Christmas. And I think now they just call out, you know, double espresso latte with cinnamon, or however they call them, I don't know. So they, they're getting away from the names. But there's other ways you notice. If you pay attention, you notice people try to take Christ out of Christmas. Happy holidays. And they almost say it like in your face, really? What holidays are you talking about? And then see what they say. <laughs> season greetings. What season is that? Oh, Christmas season. You know? Or sometimes I say, really? Happy holidays? Well, Merry Christmas. You know? 
there is a movement in the world to take Christ out, even in our government, you know? Um, the manger scene in public places. And so the world doesn't really appreciate that gift. The question is, do you? You see, the way God thinks, sees things is the world crucified his son. Crucified, put him to death. And we're part of the world. But he loves you. And he wants to save you out of that group of people that will be judged for what they've done. And all you have to do is repent and receive the gift. That's it. Repent and receive the gift. It's amazing. We shouldn't be surprised if the world hates us or that hates the Lord. It's, the Lord warned us. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me first. Before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Hate. Hate. But they have done this in order that the world, or the word may be fulfilled. That is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Why do people hate God? Why do people hate the Lord? Now some people say, well, I don't hate God. Well... Really, the scripture teaches that if you don't believe in him, you do. You do. You do. He so loved the world that he gave. He gave. And what did he give? His only son. It's his son. His son. You know, I was thinking about the value of the gift, the uniqueness of the gift. And, and how do you value a gift? You know, if you give someone that you love dearly, you know, a plastic ring out of a Cracker Jack box, how's that going to go over? <laughs> you know, it's the thought that counts. Remember that. <laughs> now, you can give something more expensive, but really, isn't it going to be gauged on your ability to, to, to purchase that gift? My son, the other day, he, he, was, he sent me a, uh, a picture of a car out in front of the Four Seasons Hotel. It's right by Equinox, where he works. And it was a Pagani. And what in the world's a Pagani? And it was all carbon fiber. The whole body was carbon fiber. So he sends me a picture. He says, it's a $1.5 million car. There's only three of them in America, and this is one of them. I go, oh, that's interesting. I'd hate to hit that guy. My insurance doesn't go that high. <laughs> that's what I'm scared of, these, all these expensive cars on the road. Don't hit one of them. <laughs> so he says he's got another one that's one of the really rare Lamborghinis that's worth 3.5 million. There's only three in the world, he said. So, I mean, if he gave you, like, a Volkswagen, it'd be no big deal, would it? It's like, what's that? I was reading about Bill Gates a few years ago. He was worth close to $80 billion. So he could buy about 50,000 of those cars. No big deal. They said for him to spend his money, it would take 281 years buying three Ferraris every day. So even if he gave you a Ferrari, it'd be no big deal to him. He's got two other ones to drive that day, and three more the next day, and three more the next day. People think it's a big deal because he's given $35 million, billion dollars away. Do you know, he's got an investment guy, he's, he's sort of really uh, quiet, hush-hush kind of guy. He's got to hide everything. But I was reading about him. He's his money manager. He, Bill Gates, makes more money than he can give away. He's given away $35 billion. He's made more than that. I can remember when his net worth was around $50, $60 billion. Now it's up near $79, $80. And he's given away 35 
So, but it's a really big deal. He's a nice guy because he plans on giving 95% of his wealth away by the end of his life. Well, that's sort of selfish, isn't it? Wait until then. <laughs> but what's five? What's five percent of eighty billion dollars? That's still quite. A, that's yeah. I can deal. I can deal with that. So, if he gives away thirty-five billion dollars and he's got eighty left, to me, I'm sorry, but I, that doesn't impress me. What impresses me when God gave His Son, His only begotten Son. And you have to realize what we're talking about here. His son, unique relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what he said. The relationship between the God, the Father, and God the Son, we cannot comprehend. It was that close, that tight. Since all of eternity. Some people have this weird idea that somehow before God created us, he is lonely. That's why he created us. Not the case. Perfect, blissful relationship between God the Father, God the Son. Nothing to hinder, nothing to harm, nothing to cause any moment of distress, discomfort, sadness. Perfect harmony. Never a disagreement. We, we don't understand that. That's his son, his only begotten son. And to save us, it took not one thing less than all of his son. That's what he gave. And you might think, well, God owns everything. Right? He could have, I mean, he's rich beyond measure. He's way more, Bill Gates is a pauper compared to, to God. He owns everything. He could have brought another planet over. It could have been pure gold. That wouldn't have paid for our salvation. But if you compare everything that God's made to his son, it's like me wanting to bequeath $100 million to my son, and he says, I don't want that. Really? You don't? Why not? Because I got something I want more. What's that? The change on your dresser. You know? That's what this world is compared to God the Son. It's a change on the dresser compared to billions. The worth, the net worth, the personal glory of the Lord Jesus Christ just cannot be estimated. He gave everything. And so if the price of a gift is an indication of how much he loves, you can't put a price tag on that. That's how much he loves you. And that's hard to believe. It is for me. But he declares that he loves, and he proved it by giving his son. You see, and his gift didn't... It wasn't just a gesture. People, you know, when I ask, why do you think Jesus died on the cross? Well, to, to show he loves us. To me, that's so incomplete. He didn't die on the cross to show he loves us. It, it, I was going to use a Portuguese word, but it does. He died on the cross to save us from our sins, to pay the penalty that we owed. And that demonstrates his love. But he just, oh, I think, I said, why in the world do you think, is that an indication of love? I just, you know, I want to show you I love you, so I'll go kill myself. That's, that's crazy. There's, there's substance to what he did. It's what he did that's important. We can see his love by that. He loved us so much he gave his son, his only begotten son, to die in our place. Now, we can relate a little bit. I have a son. I have a grandson. I have daughters. Would I take pleasure 
if I turned them over to enemies of the United States and they were tortured like we see some of the torture? Would I take pleasure? No. Would I let that happen? No, I'd rather go if that was the choice. You see, he was brutalized. He was crucified. He suffered, and that really can't compare to what he suffered at the hands of a holy God in my place, in your place. That's a gift you can't compare. And that really is the real meaning of Christmas, is that Christ was born into this world not to be a cute baby in a manger, but to be the Lord of glory crucified in my place, because that's what I deserve, and that's what you deserve. And he says, I did this as a gift to you, a present, better than any other present. It's a need that you don't realize how great it is. It's useful because it not only saves us from hell, it gives us a power to live a holy life in this world. It, the whole idea, it says, it says that he gave his only begotten son so that those that believe him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. It's not only not perishing, it's the eternal life that he gives. He had this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He still has it. And he wanted us to enter into that. That glory of heaven, that blissful relationship where there's never ever an insulting word, never an unkindness, never anything to grieve you, never separation, never a need that goes unfulfilled, in perfect relationship with him. That's what he paid for. And that's what's in that present that so oftentimes gets left under the tree. Open all these presents, oh great, well there's one left, I don't want it. Why? It says it's from God. People have this, I don't want it if it's from God, I don't want to go there. Why? It's a present for you. It's a gift for you. How many times have you gone through a Christmas and not opened a gift under a tree that was, had your name on it? And yet when you turn down the Lord, that's exactly what you're doing. Over and over again, here's your gift. I don't want it. Why? Because it's from you and I don't like you. People won't say that, but that's what they mean. I hate you. They won't say that, but that's what they mean. I don't want to be a part of you. I don't want to be a part of what you want for me. And I don't want you in my life. That's what they're saying. When they say, I reject your gift. How would you like it to have spent everything you have on a gift? And I got this for the person I love the most. Here it is. I don't want it. Why? <laughs> it's from you. Well, what, what, but I love you. I don't love you. But I've done all this for you. I, I, I've done everything for you. I've provided it for an I don't care. I hate you. I mean, we see that sometimes in movies where kids say that to their parents. It's so distasteful. It's hurtful. How do you think God feels? How many times has he offered? How many times has he brought that gift and it gets left there because of who it's from? You know? For fear, oh, if I open this, he'll require something. Yeah, he'll require a life with him, though. A wonderful life. I mean, it's, it's like people that have opened that gift, their lives have been changed. They wouldn't go back on it. And yet that's a testimony to how wonderful God is. And yet that gift gets left under the tree, left on the table. That's, a, that, that's crazy dangerous. <laughs> Who are we talking about here with the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Because here's where it hinges on who he is. And we see it in the Mount of Transfiguration. Six days later, took, um, G, uh, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought, him, brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking to him. And Peter answered and said to them, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, we will make three tabernacles or tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And they just, in fear, you know. They heard that, fell on their faces, and they were much afraid, it says. And I think that's an understatement. And Jesus came to them, touched them, and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself. Now, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think he is? They saw who he was. And we know from the Word of God, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. It describes later on that that word is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who made the world. It was through, whom, through him all things were made, and for him. <laughs> so... I read that, and I read that I was created to have a relationship with God, and so were you. And you will never be satisfied without it. You can't have it on your own because your sins have to be dealt with. He dealt with that as a gift to you when Jesus was on the cross. And that's the gift, eternal life, a free gift. Who would not want that gift? And yet, I don't care how many times I tell the story, People are within earshot that have turned down that gift. Not once, not twice, not three times, but many times, year in, year out, year in, year out. One day, the offer's not going to be on the table anymore. <laughs> it's sad. So I wish, and the Lord knows I wish this, I wish I knew what these children knew when I was their age. Because I didn't find out until I was 23. That I had been spurning God. That I didn't see the gift that he had for me. And I've been leaving it under the tree all those years. And now I know people in their 80s. My mother-in-law. She's in that same boat. Still rejecting God. It's my wish and my hope this Christmas season that we who do know the Lord, that have received that gift that we make it clear what Christmas is all about, what giving is really all about, and who is the chief giver and the greatness of his gift. Let's pray. Lord, we're amazed at what a great giver you are. Who would ever think that you would empty heaven for a sinner like me? Who would think that you can love that much, and yet you do? Lord, we pray for anyone in this room that has gone year in, year out, leaving the gift, not accepting that they would reconsider and accept the gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.